Because every once in a while, I, sometimes it's an embarrassing thing. Like, I can't believe I believe this thing all, all, all along. Uh, but I think, it's a, I think it's a good thing for us to know what is truth and what is not. It's one of those important things that we go through. And when I study and when I read, uh, if I'm reading books, I'm, if I'm reading articles, all the things that I go through uh, during a regular week uh, in prepping for a sermon, I'm always trying to track down whether or not a story or a quote or something that's said is actually true. Because I think it's really important uh, to do that. And a lot of that research, when I'm going and, and looking, Google is really helpful for that. But I always keep in mind this thing that Abraham Lincoln once said. He said, the problem with internet quotes is that you can't always depend on their accuracy. <laughs> and it's, I don't know why you're laughing at all. Uh, I, I can't figure that out. And it's, it's always important to me to actually figure out, like, wh what's true. And it's not just somebody who's using, like, this great anecdote or this story or this illustration just to prove a point. It's not enough for me just to do that. It's actually going to have some sort of substance or grounding in reality, I think, for it to be legitimate, even if it just kind of help, helps to tell a good story. Uh, it's just like watching a TV show or a movie based on historical events. One of the first things that I do, because I know this by now, is that just because it says it's based on historical events doesn't mean that that's exactly how it happened. And so the first thing I'll do is go on Wikipedia, because everything on Wikipedia is true. And I read that, and I look through and see, like, what actually happened with, with some of those characters. And it's interesting to me how some people are portrayed, like, real people use their real names in a TV show. This happened with a character in Band of Brothers uh, that, that I looked up, and, and their family was upset about this. But this person was portrayed in such a way that was not at all consistent with their real-life character, like who they actually were and what they actually did. And I just can't imagine doing that to someone just to kind of further a particular narrative or have set a particular scene just for uh, the story. I always feel a little bit bad for those people uh, because they always come at the expense of others not caring about what's actually true. And one of the ways that this maybe affects us a little bit more per personally on a more regular, le regular level is, uh, I don't know how many of you find yourselves on social media. At, like, how, how many of us are, are just not willing to admit it? All right, so like three people, that's fine. If we're not going to say, we're, we're all on it and we're all on it too much. But like one of the things that's been a hot button topic for the last few years now is fake news, right? Uh, I recommend follow, following either The Onion or Babylon Bee if you really want some great uh, fake, fake news article, uh, articles in your life. Um, but one of the things that's really interesting about how we react to things that other people like or that they post that have a lot of comments on it is just because it has a bunch of likes on it, we're more likely to buy into that being worth sharing. And what we really do, if we don't find out whether or not that's true or see at all the subtleties and nuances of what that you know, article title represents, because let's be honest, most of us don't actually read the content of the article before we repost it, we're just self-propagating confirmation bias you know, around people. And, and it really doesn't matter whether it's true or not, just because it says something that we want it to say. And so therefore, it's furthering the narrative that we already, already want to buy into and believe. It's just one of those things that, that we do, and this is an ancient te technique. Um, some of you have probably heard the phrase, repeat a lie often enough, and it becomes a truth. Maybe you've heard, heard of that. You know, that's attributed to uh, a propaganda from the Nazis. <laughs> like, that, that's where that comes from, and how they handled their country and, and their people, and how they got to where they got to be. Um, the thing that we often want to believe for ourselves to be true are sometimes the lies that we tell other people because we're trying to convince ourselves of what we want to believe, not what's actually true. 
Um, Mark Twain is, uh, is well, there's this paraphrase of this quote from him, but he, sa- he says it's easier to fool someone than it is to convince them they've been fooled. What he actually wrote, because I tracked this down, is that the glory which is built upon a lie soon becomes a most unpleasant encumbrance. How easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work again. And that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're talking about these things. Because it affects, these, these lies that we're talking about affects how we believe things, how we view God, and how we view our world. And it affects how we live out our faith, how we are disciples of Jesus. And I don't think people are being willfully vicious when they per- perpetuate untruth in their lives. Um, but it's more tied to the story that we want to be true in this life. And this is especially true for the lie we believe that we're talking about today, because on the surface, it seems to provide an all-encompassing solution to the problem of pain and suffering, Um, and it's told by well-meaning people, but it's not true. And so here it is, Uh, unless you already saw the title on on the program when you came in this morning. It's this lie, that God won't give you any more than what you can handle. And let me pause for a second. I don't know, some of you came in here this morning, you're like, I'm, I'm looking for something actually that maybe is a little bit more encouraging than, than this. <laughs> you know, to say that this phrase, maybe that I'm kind of holding on to right now, is not true. Uh, and I don't know how helpful this is, but stick with me. Uh, because by the end of this, I think what you'll discover is what is true is actually more comforting than what this phrase represents. Bad things happen. And so we often try to make sense of those things and try to figure out what God's role in those things are, uh, what God's grace in those moments are. And so we'll say things that seem to be comforting and seem to be something maybe we've read in the Bible somewhere or somebody's preached somewhere. You know, the oldest writing we have in the Bible is the book of Job. And that's and the entirety of that is dealing with the problem of pain and suffering and how God interacts uh, with Job on that. But it also... It deals a lot of the content, most of the content is about Job and his friends dialoguing about them trying to be helpful in giving Job perspective on his pain and suffering, and we find out at the end that they're just dead wrong because they're just trying to explain that pain away. And so this phrase is well-meaning in some respects, but it's not all that helpful in the moment because even if there's a little bit of truth, and that often happens with these types of, of untruths, there's a little bit of truth associated with it, it's never comforting to dismiss the legitimacy and the significance of the pain that we're feeling in the moment of our suffering. And as comforting as it may sound on the surface, like I said earlier, the truth is way more comforting. And that's why it's so important to actually know what the Bible says, to know what it says in its context. And so this is a side note plug. At the beginning of this year, we talked about Core 52. And uh, if you don't know what that is, I want encourage you to go to velocitychurch.info, click on the card that says Core 52, and read more about that. Um, It's all about raising our uh, awareness of what Scripture actually says, raising our Bible IQ, and so would love for you to, uh, to join in with us for that. So here's the thing. Where does this phrase come from? God won't give you any more than you can handle. There's actually a verse in the Bible that this sounds like it might could be from. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that is the verse where this phrase comes from. But I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 10 because the context that Paul sets up for his Corinthian audience is important to understand where he's going with verse 13. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that's the text that we're going to be in primarily this morning. Starting in verse 1. 
Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to un- indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And here comes verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So at best, and I was talking with my friend Richard, who's another friend in ministry in San Antonio, and I was telling him about our sermon series and what I was preaching on uh, this morning, and we were talking about that a little bit. And like he puts it, at best, God won't give you any more than what you can handle is, is Scripture adjacent. In other words, it seems like maybe it's close to verse 13 and what that's talking about, but it actually misses the mark. And you can, con- you can connect temptation and bad things, have th- things happening out of our control because we're often tempted to lose our perspective in those moments. But what Paul is actually talking about here is that when it comes to sin and temptation, sin and temptation, not things that are out of our control, God has enables us to face those things in such a way that they don't have to rule over us. And while it seems more significant to worry about the things that we can't control and to come up with a reason for why they're manageable, this statement from Paul is more about what the conditions of our heart is when we come up against those things in life that are out of our control. And those out-of-control scenarios that we face, because they will come, because we live in a broken world, are always that much worse when the entirety of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength are not guided and directed by our love for God. And that's why Paul points out all these Old Testament examples of the Israelites' relationship with God, and the reason things went poorly with, with them were not as a result of the things that were out of their control, um, uh, that they were more than what they could handle, but because they were choosing their temptations over God. Yet time and time again, God picks up the pieces and redeems his people. And the phrase, God won't give us any more than what we can handle, like that seems like, on the, on the surface, it seems like, well, that's something that we certainly want to be true, like that's something that we would want to be the case, that, that God wouldn't give us those things. And yet, there are actually a couple major problems about what that says about the character and nature of God that aren't, aren't true. First, is it suggests that God gives us those things, which is just simply not true. God does not go out of his way to make us suffer. In fact, it, it, it ignores what God actually does give and promises to give us. It ignores what we talked about last week, you know, with that whole introduction to sin in our lives and following our heart and how that's a thing that we mistakenly sometimes buy into uh, when we live our lives. The second thing it, it, it says, this phrase says that's not true, is that you and I are supposed to be strong enough on our own to take on whatever we face in life. And it ignores the fact that we're never told that we have to face 
what we face in life alone. Individual strength is not a high-value expectation within the context of Scripture when it comes to things that we can't handle, the things that are out of our control. And the truth throughout the Bible is far more powerful to free us from what holds us down. And so I would love for you, if you've ever heard anybody say this phrase, or maybe you've caught yourself saying something like this in the past before, I would encourage you in your thinking and how you think about who God is and how he interacts with us in our lives to exchange, God won't give you any more than you can handle with this phrase. God won't let you go through more than what he can handle. Because that's so much more representative of who God is and how he lives out our relationship with him. When it comes to what Paul is actually talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, you know, when we make it about being consumed by what we can't control, um, the, the trouble with God won't give you more than you can handle is that it misses what we've been given by God or enabled by, by God through the Holy Spirit to handle. Because sometimes we have sin on the calendar. But let's be like sometimes it's planned. It's something that we know that's a part of our everyday or weekly or monthly or yearly routine. And when we add that to the other situations that are as a result of the sin of others or just the broken consequences that we face in this world, that's when we are most overwhelmed. God's promise, however, is that He's shown throughout the whole of Scripture is that not only does he continue to show up, he promises through Jesus to redeem all things. And so there's a particular attitude that we get to face things in life that we can't control, is that God won't let us go through anything that he can't handle because he's always there and because he's always taking care of those things through Jesus. We always know the ending, and that helps us to construct the narrative of our life, not just to perpetuate a particular story, to manipulate others to our favor in the narrative we desire for our lives, but it's because it's the ending that God ensures. And in every one of those moments in which we're reminded of this truth, we gain the perspective of faith that we need. And that's what makes the origin of this phrase so fascinating to me, that the content of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's always interesting that that gets summarized in such a way that misses the point. Not only does God not tempt us, but he's faithful to not only not allow us to experience more than we can bear, which is a different standard than what we can handle, but when temptation does come, he's already promised to provide us a way out to endure. In James chapter 1, verse 13, James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind, a kind of first fruits of all he created. So here's the key. We don't have to live life enslaved by the desires that break our lives and our relationships with others and with God. In fact, God gives every good and perfect gift to us through Jesus, so that does not have to be the case. And that's the good news of the kingdom of God living that Jesus makes possible. And not only is God with us through those moments, we have each other to help along the way. 
In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. And then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. At first glance, it may seem like Paul's kind of mixing things up here. Well. Hold on, we should bear each other's burdens, but each one should carry their own load. So which is it? I mean, is there, is there something going on here that we're missing? And one of the things that may be helpful to know is that Paul is using two different words in, in this occasion, because some translations you've probably read in the past would use the same word for this. And he's using two different words to describe two different things. Um, we're called to be with one another for confession and repentance and accountability. Uh, we're also called to watch that we don't put ourselves in a position uh, to be tempted. But the burdens that we're called to help each other carry, those are the very things that well-meaning or sometimes frustrated Christians might say to another that God doesn't give. And yet we know there are things that we face in this life that are too big for us to handle on our own. And while it's not God giving them, you and I are definitely going to, at some point in our life, bear the brunt of one of those burdens. And that's why one of the many reasons why being a disciple of Jesus cannot happen outside of community. Because God gives the gift of each other to help bear what we can't handle. And that's how we move through some of those things. What we're called to do in relationship with each other, we're supposed to give each other the type of encouragement that we need to move through some of those things that we can't carry on our own. Those burdens that are unwieldy in our lives are meant to be shouldered by the people of faith that we surround ourselves with as an assembly of disciples. And we do that through choosing to be in relationship with each other, choosing to share with one another what is actually holding us down in this life. It happens through confession. It happens through serving one another. It happens through gathering with each other in groups and intentional relationship to follow Jesus and encourage each other to do the same. The load we're called to carry individually are those things that are unique to who God has called us to be. The way that we've been gifted to serve others, the way that we've been positioned to tell others about Jesus, the way that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow to be more and more like Jesus every day. And so God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to help bear what we can handle. And that's what's so important, I think, to differentiate from when it comes to how we live out our faith in this life and what we need from God to provide for us. He already does so. And, and what we need to be able to do with what God has called us to in this life, again, he's already provided what we need to make that happen as well. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, where he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the load that he calls us to individually. And so uh, here, here's, here's where we're headed with this. And, and here's a couple things that I want to give you to hopefully be helpful in contextualizing like what you're dealing with in your life when you think about this phrase, God won't give me any more than I can handle, and how maybe that's not very true uh, when, when we come to experience things. Is, is this a burden that you're facing in this life that you need other people to kind of help you carry through this? Or is this a temptation that you've been dealing with that's kind of put you in this situation to be overwhelmed by the situation that seems like you can't control? Um, when it comes to temptation, like asking yourself why you're in the position you're in is, is pretty important. 
Is it because of your addiction that you haven't confessed yet, that you haven't dealt with yet, that you haven't taken any steps to, to deal with yet? Is it, is it because of your irresponsibility? You know, just, just not putting things into place in your life that you know better than to do, but you kind of keep finding yourself in the same rut over and over and over again. It seems overwhelming, but you know it's really because you just haven't made the decision and followed through with it that you know God has called you to. Is there something maybe that you've done to arrive in this position? You know, along the way, and you look back in life and say, oh, well, one of the reasons I'm here is because of this decision I made a few years ago. And to recognize that and see how God has enabled us through the Holy Spirit to live a new life, to rewrite a different story, and we can move forward from that. Or is this in a wholly different category, and is this this a burden that I really can't handle? This is a situation that's out of control. Maybe it's as a result of somebody else's sin against you. Maybe it's just because we live in a world that's broken by circumstances, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of of things that we desire or need uh, for for life, uh, to move forward in this life. Like, is it that kind of thing? Because if it is, it means that God has already written the end of that story. And in that moment, and in that situation, not only can we be encouraged by that truth, but we know that the relationships that we have each other are meant to help shoulder those, those burdens along with us. And this is not to say like God has taken care of it in a flippant way, because one of the, thing, one of the things that I say every time, when I'm meeting with somebody, just about every time, uh, if it's a pastoral counseling situation and I'm dealing with somebody who just seems like they're overwhelmed by some of the things that are, that are going on. Is One of the primary questions I ask is, what, what's actually true about the situation right now? Not about what might happen down the road, not about what could happen tomorrow, but what's, what's true about ha- what, what is happening right now? Because I can tell you with confidence that what is true right now is that God is with you, God cares about you, and God has already known that you were going to be here, and has already provided a way through this. Ultimately, spiritually through Jesus, but even through the people and the situations that you have surrounding you in your life. God is there, and, and he's, he's taking care of that. What, what is true about what's actually going on in your situation? And secondly, what has God already promised for you in this situation? That's one of the things that's so, uh, so important about upgrading our, our Bible literacy and knowing what God has to say in his word about those things. Because part of it is to know and understand what he's already promised for us. God won't let you go through more than what he can handle. And regardless of what we think we might need to have with our story, God's already written your story. And he's already let us know what the ending is through Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. Later, uh, later today, and, and maybe I'll share a little bit about this um, more. I, I found out this morning we're going to have a couple baptisms later today. And so I'll, I'll share a little bit about that maybe more next week. And, and um, every time that that happens, that, that's an overwhelming thing to me. Because that is the moment when we say yes to God that all the things that hold us back, all the things that weigh us down are washed away. I mean, that, that's the picture that we're given in, in Scripture. That, that's what that symbolizes. 
And that's, that's one of the joyful moments that we get to celebrate. And so what I want to encourage you uh, is, as, as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus, like, be reminded of, of that truth, of what God has already done for you, what he's already promised is true for your life. And, and if, if you're not, like maybe that's not a, a thing that you've experienced yet in, in your faith journey and seeking out God, I want to encourage you, like there, there is a moment, there is a step that we can take in our faith journey where we can look at the circumstances of life in a wholly different light because of what God has already done for us. God won't let you go through any more than what he can handle. And he proves that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he invites us into that same narrative uh, to be able to live that out uh, in this life, to then experience that with him in eternity in the next. Let's pray this morning. God, as we... um, as we face maybe some things in our life, maybe there's some people this morning uh, that are facing what seem to be overwhelming odds. God, we just ask for the reminder um, of your promises in those moments, that we can see countless examples through Scripture of, of how you continually uh, not only empower us uh, to uh, be able to move through those things, but you take care of both sides of the equation. Um, that even when we don't have the strength, you show up with your strength uh, to make it happen. God, we thank you for, uh, for that truth. God, we ask that you give us the strength that we need through your Holy Spirit to hold on to it. And God, we ask that when it comes to the things that we can control in our life, the, the things that always make the situations that we go through worse, the temptations that we face, um, that we start to see ourselves in a different light as those who are redeemed by Jesus, that we're called to a new creation life that, uh, that makes a difference in our perspective and how we handle the things that come our way. God, we ask that as we seek to serve and want, love one another as a church family, as we seek to serve and love our community around us, that uh, we start to recognize um, the part that we play in helping to bear one another's burdens as we carry our own loads, how that makes, makes such a difference in the lives around us. God, we, uh, we thank you for this type of relationship we get to share with you. And just in Jesus' name we pray, amen.